Ephesians chapter 1. We are working our way through this letter. We come to verses 15 through 23. 15 to 23. Our resources in Christ. Please follow in the reading of the word of God. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelations in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seating him at his right hand and in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we come before you to... Beseech your throne that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would receive wisdom, that we would receive revelation, that, Father, we would bow before this in awe of your worthiness, and it would drive us to worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to hear your words. Help us to understand your words. Help us to be overwhelmed by you, my King. In Christ's name, amen. This is something that is extremely practical and yet very seldom practiced. And and I'm not sure why it's not practiced. And and what I'm I'm getting at is the Apostle Paul in verses 3 through 14 gave us amazing spiritual truth. I mean, uh, a depth that is just staggering if you go through that section. And understanding that it's one sentence, but it came out of the fact that grace and peace of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he is just overwhelmed by what God has done and what God has revealed. I was sharing this morning in the Sunday school hour that um, we have a, you, you hear a lot about spiritual warfare. And basically, it is, it is not what everybody wants you to think it is. Okay? It is basically truth versus a lie. I mean, I, I, I know you can go watch some of these goofy movies and wow, 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 and all the rest of it, but I, that's just part of the lie. I, I remember watching cartoons and Yosemite Sam would have a tail and a pitchfork and horns. And that became, that's the devil. Well, that's a lie. The devil is an angel of light. 
Okay, he doesn't walk around puking green stuff and twisting heads and junk like that. He don't do that. He is a liar. And when you go look at your Bible and you see the word false teaching, the word false there is pseudo. And it literally means lay alongside. And, and I always liken it to a railroad track. you got two tracks running side by side. One is truth. One is a lie. And the two shall never cross. But one of the things that I've learned in my years walking with the king is very few people can discern truth from a lie. You know, God helps those who help themselves. There were three wise men. And I mean, I can just go on and on and on about all the things that we think we know that are non-existent. Okay, and, you know, I, I try to loving, you know, I was talking about some pastors that I confronted this week. And everybody looks at me and says, man, he's, he just runs around and beats the tar out of people. No, that's not true. If you're biblically a leader, you better know what the thing's saying. And if I'm around and you say something that ain't in there, I am not bashful to tell you that that's not true. Okay? When it comes to regular people that ain't in leadership, that don't pronounce themselves as leaders or spiritual giants, no, I have all kinds of compassion and mercy on them. But if you want to act like you know what you're talking about, let me tell you something. You better. Because I will point it out. Because I don't want... I don't want people going to hell because they chased something that they thought was true. And in my love and my compassion and my mercy for you, I therefore let you. All right. I confronted a pastor on that this week, uh, this marijuana thing. And I'm trying to figure out how in the heck does the church buy into that? And guess what? They have. You know, how do you deal with your people who are smoking pot? And I, they said they had this symposium with psychologists and all this other thing going to all show up and tell all these pastors and church leaders how to deal with it. And I didn't go. And they said, uh, well, what are you going to do if you I seen him on Thursday and they said, what are you going to do if you have people in your church smoking pot? I said, I'm going to send them to yours. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, that doesn't sound that confusing to me. You know, they wanted to say, well, you know, it's legal. And we're gonna, I said, abortion is legal too. Are we going to have a symposium on that? I don't know why these guys keep trying to poke the dog because this dog will bite. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't understand some of this. But that's the truth versus the lie. And then I go through this, I look at 3 through 14, and I says, that is the greatest dissertation of theology. You can't get that in seminary. I know you won't get it in a Bible college. They're not going to sit and explain that to you. And you know what? Even in the time that it took me to get through it, which was pert near a year, I didn't do it any justice. You're looking at the throne room of God and what he was doing. Him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's one of the things that I've learned. You can give 
an absolutely foundational, doctrinal, just massive exposition. But if you don't pray, God opens their eyes afterwards. You're wasting your time. The Apostle Paul gives us two of these. We have this one here and then 15 to the end of the chapter. He gives us prayer for the people who would read this. He also gives us another great dissertation on theology in chapter 2 and 3. And at the end of chapter 3, guess what he does? He prays. Okay, now if Paul does that in this one little bitty letter, I'm thinking that God's speaking down from heaven saying, Warning, warning, Will Robertson, you need to do this. And yet we come out in our pompousness and say, Well, let me give you a dissertation on God's preordaining you. And then you walk away and the people's eyes are all glazed over and you're like, Well, I don't understand why they didn't get it. That's one of the best sermons I ever gave. Because you didn't pray. You didn't pray. Because I got news for you, brothers and sisters. There's stuff in this book right now that unless you petition the king, you're wasting your time. And you think about it right now. How many of us study? Because I've had people ask me, what is the best tool that you use in your studies? Is it that Greek text? Is it an interlinear? Is it commentaries? And I said, no, it's prayer. And they look at me like, well, but, but what do you use? Prayer. Why? I'm indwelt by the author. So I pray. I pray. Last week I was showing you one of the things that I have learned in my years. And I had to give anything if I would have learned this a long time ago. But it's almost been the process of 20 plus, almost 30 years. Okay. A lot of you read your Bible. And I am thankful. A lot of you study your Bible. And I'm thanking you. Very few of you interpret your Bible. Okay? Here's what I mean by interpreting your Bible. This book is truth. Period. Non-negotiable. Okay? As I look at my scriptures... I find what is the definition that is being laid out here for it. But that's just step one. What is it explaining to me? All right. Secondly, I must understand it. That's where interpretation comes in. Listen, I don't want you guys to all walk out of here and say, well, Terry said, because that will get you nothing. All right. You're not going to believe this. My faith cannot save a person. I can't even save a fly. I remember talking to a bus driver when I was in Israel and he said, well, they tell me you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. And he says, well, how's come you're not trying to get me saved? And I looked at him and I said, I can't save anybody. And he goes, what? He says, every pastor I've ever had on this bus is trying to get me saved. I said, well, it's obvious they can't save anybody either, huh? Right? If you're really honest with yourself, you can't save anybody. But when I understand the definition of truth, 
then I know that I have to be able to understand it. When I understand what it's saying, then you move. Okay, I shared with you last week, that is position. Position. One of the problems that's in the church right now is most people are interested in the practice. But they don't understand their position in Christ. Because everybody asks me. I mean, I... When we had more numbers, I got this way too often. When can a Christian divorce? Well, you don't understand what your position is. Okay? And you try to explain that to them, and they're not interested. They want to know what is the practice. Why should I not... Marry an unbeliever. I know. You're already married, dummy. No. Okay. Why should you not marry an unbeliever? Because, see, we do that on a regular basis in the body of Christ. Craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. They just go, yeah, I'm going to do that. Why? Well, maybe they'll get saved. What if they don't? Then what? Okay, and and but you see a lot of this stuff because we all want the practice. We want the practice, but we try to get out there without knowing our position. The Apostle Paul in verses three through fourteen gave you your position. Okay. And you better look at this letter because he don't deal with the practice until chapter four. So you got three chapters that he deals with the position and twice in those three chapters, he prays that you and I understand our position. See down here, what I mean (laughs) here on the planet earth. We talk about the Christian life. Okay. The Christian walk. Okay. What that is, is making our practice look like our our position. Are they equal? Are they equal? See, the more we know of who we are in Christ the easier the practice. Okay? Illustrate. Grumpy Christians. I know none of you have ever run into them. They're wonderful. Okay? Foreheads all wrinkled up. And they got the scowl on their face trying to badger people into the kingdom of God. Okay? What they're telling me is, this is my practice. And I don't know what my position is. I don't know. I remember we, I, I've been around long enough to say everybody was teaching on how to share your faith. Really? If I understand what my position is, I don't know why I have to take a class to figure out how to do that. 
All right. You're telling me you don't know how to give reason for the hope that is in you. Then perhaps you should back up to what is your position. Okay. Or we will use practice to badger people, to intimidate people, or put the fear of God in them. So they'll act right. Okay. But we don't give them their position. See, if you understand what your position is. See, Paul's desire is that we understand our position. And he knows if we don't, we will never have the right motive to live that life. I mean, how many have grown up in the church or been in a church in a system where this was a have to? I have to be there for VBS. I have to be there and evangelize. I have to go hang hangers on doorknobs. I have to. That's the wrong motive. Should be as simple as I want to. Why? Because I know what my position is in Christ. Too many today. Push the practice. Push the practice. Listen, if you don't get anything out of these messages I give to you, I want you to get this. Christian growth, Christian maturity, okay, has absolutely, positively nothing to do with your position in Christ. Okay? Listen, when you were saved in Christ, I'll ask you a simple question. When you were saved, how much of your sin was forgiven? So what are you going to add to that? Listen, When you were saved, you received eternal life. Now. Listen, it is not a process. It is not a process. I listen to people saying, well, you've got to lead people to Christ. You've got to give them the Romans road of salvation. You've got to give them this. You've got to give them that. Let me ask you something. If you think... That someone who is an evangelist who leads a bunch of people to say the sinner's prayer, how successful he is in his walk. What are you going to say about Jeremiah? Better yet, what are you going to say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I got news for you. That just didn't seem like it worked. I mean, he had 12 One betrayed him, all the others vanished, and one denied him. Was he successful? Yes, he was. Okay, but see, we get into this thing, and I don't know if it's just the Billy Sunday thing, or the Billy Graham thing, or what it is, that this is a successful Christian, when the truth of the matter is, if I share my faith with 400 people, and they all deny my Lord at their death. You know what that means? I was successful. 
They died without excuse. Listen, at your moment of your salvation, you were made perfect. At that moment, the righteousness of Christ is imputed. Okay? It is put into your account. How righteous was Christ? So, when God imputed that to your account in Christ, He sees you absolutely perfect and righteous. At the moment of your salvation, that is your position. So, Christian growth has nothing to do with it. You cannot add a thing if you share your faith, if you lead a Bible study. I have perfect attendance in church. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't add anything to it. See, Our practice is where the growth is. We literally begin to exercise our position. But listen, that will only happen in what you are confident in. What you are confident in. All right? And listen, it ain't my confidence. My confidence ain't going to help anybody here. It's like my faith ain't going to help anybody here. I tell people that 35 years ago, I set this book down and began by saying, I'm going to find the contradictions in this. And by golly, when I find it, I'm going to beat every Christian right in the chops when I find them. And I tell everybody, well, right now I haven't found any, but I shall keep looking. That's why I have, after this many years, I have a little confidence in what this book says. Okay, but again, it goes back. You can read it. You can do little Bible studies on them. That's fine. There's nothing wrong. I like both of those. But until you start sitting down and interpreting it and understanding what the definition is, What is this telling me? And I understand that when I read this book, I'm either looking at my position or I'm looking at my practice. We're going through Leviticus and you sit there and you got it kind of goes on and on and on and on and on. And you're like, well, this is crazy. That's what your practice is. Why? Oh, you forgot. He brought him out of Egypt. He's taken him to the promised land. Oh, yeah. Because he wants you to do this after you understand your position. Remember, he's only showing up as a cloud in a fire. That's all. That's all it is. During the day, they're under a cloud. Guess who that is? Why? If you're walking around in the desert, you want to be under a cloud. During the night, deserts get really cold. People don't realize that, but they do. And they get chilly. And he is now a what? A fire. So now they understand what their position is. And so then they start giving and receiving what? Practice. This is your practice. You are becoming what you are. 
Romans 7. I don't do the things I want to do. I hate the things that are evil and I still do them. Why? He's already given them their position. He dealt with the doctrine of sin. He dealt with the doctrine of justification. And now, here's what we're doing. This is the battle you will have. But in Romans 8, he says, but you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit living within you. And then in 9, 10, and 11, he deals with the sovereignty of God. So he goes back to what? Position. And when he deals with that position, then in chapter 12, he says, 12 to the end of the book, here's what you should be doing. But again, which ones come first? Position comes first. If you don't have that, you knock yourself out. Because I can tell people who don't know their position and are working on their practice. Because they are so pleasant to be around. Okay, they're the ones that says, you're riding a motorcycle without a helmet. Positionally, that's good. Because if I biff it, bye. I don't understand some of this stuff. You know, how do you wear a beard? You don't want me to have a sharp thing around my neck. I'm not that steady. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? It's easy for us to go through and say, well, I should or I shouldn't or I should or I shouldn't or I should or I shouldn't. But if I don't know why, then what's your motive? Listen, you can't make your position better or worse. Did you know that? Can't change it. God's love for you is only total and perfect. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.39, guess what? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I told you last week and had some people going, oh my God, what is he saying? Because we always say that there's nothing's impossible for God. Yes, there is. One thing I know of emphatically, impossible for God. For him to love you more. He can't love you more. Listen, there is no more forgiveness. There is no less forgiveness. All you do is grow. Match your practice to your position. That's why the Apostle Paul starts it out there for this reason, having heard. Why? I give thanks. I give thanks. When I understand my position, all I have to do is give thanks and praise him. For this reason, verse 15, praying in light of this amazing inheritance that he laid out in the first 14 verses. I pray for you, verse 16. I pray for you. Why? I pray that your little bean heads would get a hold of this. That's how I say it. Paul doesn't say it that way. Starts with praise. What did he praise? I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all of the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. You think about some of the corny things that we've prayed for. Think about it. 
I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all the saints. Hmm. And he is praying and giving thanks for that. You know, it's amazing if you really think about it. Listen, I want you to understand something. I get into trouble. When I first kind of started at the pulpit, the big battle or the thing that seemed to get me in more hot water than anything was spiritual gifts. And everybody was trying to stuff me into this box. Well, you're a cessationist. They said, no, you believe that the spiritual gifts are gone, fulfilled with the canonization of Scripture. And I said, I don't believe that. Well, I don't. Well, you don't believe in tongues. I haven't seen them. So, I believe that there was such a gift. Okay? But I also believe that there was that other one too. You know, that other one that no one talks about? Interpretation? How come I never hear about that one? Oh, and what about that one gift that everybody loves and thinks is the best of all? Discernment. But see, if I know my position, then I understand discernment. If I know my position, I understand prophecy. Okay? Do you know it wasn't until the 1300s that prophecy showed up as something speaking of what the future is? And yet people always today think prophecy is, well, do you know that? What was that guy's name? Not Nicodemus. Nostradamus. Do you realize he was like one-sixth right? Well, gee whiz, a blind pig can find slop. I, that don't make sense to me. Oh, well, yeah, but he was, he was right on. Really? Well, he was a prophet. No. He liked opium. And you can always see things if you do opium. Okay? Uh, but, you know, I don't know. The sign gifts, my question is always, why do you need it? If you need to see a sign, you know what you're telling me? You have little faith. If you have little faith, you know what I, I really know? You have no clue what your position is. Because when you know what your position is, you understand what your position is, you're confident about what your position is, guess what? Your faith will grow in ways that you cannot imagine. You can stand on the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He makes that statement here, and I want to show you something because this is fascinating to me. Since I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all, all the saints. I do not stop giving thanks to you and making mentions of you in my prayer, in my prayers. I understand that the apostle is in prison right now, but chronologically, the first letter that the apostle Paul ever wrote is Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, first Thessalonians chapter one, verses two and three. Here's what he says. We give thanks to God for all of you making mention of you in our prayers Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfast hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father. Gosh, that sounds really familiar. You should go read Colossians 1. If Paul hadn't wrote it, I'd have to charge him with plagiarism. But I don't guess you can plagiarize yourself, can you? Listen, I have heard you have two things that prove your salvation. I used to get into trouble over spiritual gifts. Now, you know what I get into trouble with? Is your salvation real? Is your salvation real? I asked you to pray last week for my friend who's nearing death. Okay? Every time I see him, he asks me to pray. I pray for him. And I find myself a little on the selfish side praying. You know what I pray? Father, show me that he is saved. Okay? Show me that. Because you know what? I'm not convinced. I mean, I got all kinds of people calling me. Well, you know, he said the sinner's prayer when he was 13. Well, I worked with him down in Florida. I don't think it took. Just an idea. But you used, you know, I mean, the, he drank himself to death. That is truly a work of God there now. Were you worshiping? I'm not sure that that falls in to you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm really sure that it has got nothing to do with the love for all the saints. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints. I have heard of these two things. Now listen, how did the Apostle Paul hear this? That was the first thing I asked. You guys can see how my goofy head works. Well, was it the radio ministry? And he listened to them when he was in prison? Well, it had been four years since the Apostle Paul had been in Ephesus. Okay? How did he hear this? All right. Understand, when he writes this letter, he's in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, okay, awaiting his hearings. Okay, understand, Ephesus is a unique place. It, if you look at it on a map, it's way inland. Well, not way inland, but it's, it's inland. And yet it was a port. And you say, well, how in the heck can it be off this coast and still be a port. Well, they had a canal. They had dug a stinking canal with a bay in the end of it, and Ephesus is around the bay. And it's what they call a safe harbor. Whatever was going on in the western Mediterranean had no effect on the port in Ephesus. Okay, Ephesus, by the way, was very, very wealthy. Okay, Ephesus was a distribution hub. If you were going to take stuff into Asia Minor or to the Middle East... Like, and I don't mean like Israel, but I mean, if you're going to go down into Babylon or any of these other places south of Asia, Asia Minor is Turkey. 
Okay, If you're going to take them and go south, you went into the port at Ephesus at that time. So it had a lot of traffic. Okay, Now remember, this was a travel spot for the western Mediterranean. Remember this. He's in jail when he writes this. Okay, But also remember this. Paul was a Roman citizen. All right? Which permitted him to have as many visitors a day as he wanted. Okay? So he would have had a constant flow of visitors. Think about by the time he gets arrested the first time, where he's been and what he's done. He's taught in Antioch. Okay? He's taught in Macedonia. He's taught in Athens. He's taught in Corinth. He's taught, think about where he's been. I mean, the church of Thessalonica has been planted. He's wrote letters to Rome. He's done all of these things. So it isn't like, well, who would this Paul guy be? So people were visiting him when he was in prison for the gospel. Now, how many of those visitors do you suppose were Christian? Two, three? An hour? All right. And you know what they're going to be telling him? What's going on in the churches? Remember, one of the prison letters that he wrote was the letter to who? Colossians, where he had never been. And yet he says the same thing about the Colossian believers that he says about the Ephesian believers. So he is in jail writing this. He would receive this information. He would pen a letter and the visitor would take it out and relay it. That's kind of cool if you think about it. Sort of like God's way of, I've got to set this boy down and get some manuscripts here so I'll get him arrested. All right. This letter... I've shared with you some of the manuscripts that you find of this, early manuscripts. does not say the saints who are at Ephesus. It says to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So you literally could take this letter and present it to anybody. If you remember, Paul told them to take a letter to where? Laodicea. But he wrote it to the Colossians. Well, get it across... And up the hill to Laodicea, those believers. So the Apostle Paul imprisoned, getting visitors from all over the place. He knows this, and he can say with great joy, praise, and thanksgiving, I've been hearing about you and all of the churches. I hear good things about you. I praise God in my prayers constantly about the things I hear from you. And you know the two things that did the most to? Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all of the saints. Hmm. Kind of changes our prayers looks a little bit, doesn't it? You think about the things that we try to thank God for. And I wonder if we can say, I thank you, Lord, 
for these people's faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and for their love for... And there's that word again. All the saints. All the saints. Not to the nice saints. Not to the non-prickly saints. It is to all the saints. Listen. If you think about this, what is the greatest praise that you can bestow upon a congregation of believers? They got a worldwide ministry? I mean, you know, I, you, I can look at this little church and say, you know how many daughter churches we got around the world? And we can say, wow, man, we'll give praise to God. But my question is this. I get back to the basics of Christianity. And there's two basics that I challenge people on. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all the saints. How important is this? One of my favorite writers, besides the Apostle Paul, is John. John was one of the sons of thunder. I like John, the beloved of God. Everybody reads the Gospel of John and they tell me, what a compassionate, loving man John was. I was like, yeah, he was. <laughs> one of the nice, compassionate, loving, gracious things about John is that you didn't have to worry about whether he was beating around the bush. Okay? You never really unsure where John stands. Okay? First John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. <laughs> I wonder what he meant by that. Okay. Well, was he talking about... That's real simple text. I know where John stands. This is extremely important to John. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you, what? Have love for one another. Okay? The Apostle Paul, here in this letter to the church in Ephesus, says, I have heard of your love for all of the saints. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Let me make a statement, then I'll ask you a question. When I leave, okay, when I leave this vessel... Or whatever happens. You know what? That's all I ever once said about me. 
his faith in the Lord Jesus, and his love for all the saints. How about you? How about you? When you're done, are they going to brag about your kids, your education, your 401k, your abilities? Or will they say, hey, they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for all the saints? It's Paul's praise for every believer. Every believer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness that he even bears fruit now. And we who are Gentiles, listen to the Apostle of the Gentiles. I pray for each of us. The Father, as he prayed that our eyes of our hearts would may be enlightened so we would know the hope of his calling and what is the riches and glory of his inheritance in the saints, surpassing greatness of his power so that people will hear of our faith in the Lord Jesus and our love for all the saints. Father, we praise you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.